This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 12 years in a row, Prince Wine Store and the Bendigo Art Gallery, presenting Elvis direct from Graceland, created in partnership with Graceland. This Australian exclusive exhibition explores the life and style of Elvis Presley. On now until July 17, tickets from bendigoartgallery.com.au. It's not all bad news going into winter, everybody. These are my tips on how to take care of yourself and conserve yourself through winter. Ginger, it's the best in everything. Put it in everything that you cook. It ties up everything in a nice, neat bow. All the downstairs characters get a major crack and a lot of their lives are finally resolved. Look, let's face it, Corrie, we all cried at the end. We did, be honest. No, I had a cold. You you were sobbing, well, I was This story is the bond between the mother and the son, which becomes even tighter, and as young Charles becomes a teenager, almost claustrophobic. But this is just a beautiful story of mother-son relationships. It's beautiful, it's poetic, it's gentle. The amazing fact is, A, he's denying it, B, nobody thought to turn off the screen. Nine or ten ABC employees saw the entire thing, some of whom are receiving counselling. Well, some of them were a bit traumatised by it. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Corey Perkin, and it is episode 220 of our little podcast. And of course, as she is each week, looking beautiful in her winter colours, Caroline Wilson. Winter colours for a wintry day, Corrie, and the last of Miss Jane's um, autumn offerings, including a lovely pineapple-smelling sage-type arrangement with a few other... uh, What's that blue thing called, Miss Jane? It's sea holly, and I've got cuttings and some seedlings for you because it's stunning, I love sea holly, and it's great. You've given it to me before, and I would like cuttings. Thank you very much. (laughs) I have a a garden too. And you too, Corrie. Don't forget, I have a massive garden. Hey, um, Caro, we just have to sort of say at the beginning of our show, as we do each week, but we mean this so sincerely, Red Energy... Are one of our show supporters and sponsors. They are a terrific energy company. Both you and I are signed up with them and we thank them each week for their support of the podcast. Most satisfied customers they have 11 years in a row. And of course, our friends at Prince Wine Store who also support our podcast and they bring us the greatest wines in the world. And Miles Thompson will be with us from Prince Wine Store shortly for the cocktail cabinet. Caro, any apologies? Housekeeping? Well, there's some. Is it? Do we need to apologise for my pronunciation of the word cow, which is actually cow, which was um, that beautiful soup, that incredible recipe that I um, delivered last week from well, Gourmet Traveller? One of our listeners thinks that you have to apologise. Our friend Rebecca Barnard is actually being quite friendly when she says it's actually a dish from Thailand. It is pronounced cow. And when I was in Northern Thailand, I had it made for me once by the chef who made it for the king of Thailand. Delicious, served with little pickled onions on the side. Um, She's looking forward to giving the recipe a crack. And Yvette Kaunt via Insta, um, direct messaging, actually sat behind me and Anna a few weeks ago when we were at um, Girl from the North Country, Corrie, a wonderful musical, um, music of Bob Dylan, um, set in sort of depression time America, starring Lisa McCune. Anyway, she's a fan of ours as a foot, mine as a footy journalist, as well as a devoted potty. She was going to say hello after the show. This is, goes back to one of our dilemmas, Corrie, um, but didn't as we were both deep in conversation and she didn't want to intrude. Um, but apparently, Yvette, you, you wouldn't have got a word in with those two. 
I did. Well, Anna's husband Chris was also also with us. I did give her a big smile, and um, but if he is ever there again, um, he doesn't live in Melbourne. But if he's ever there and sees you, Corrie, she'll be sure to say hello, so you don't feel left out. Thanks for that, um, Marsha. 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 No, I know I say that every week. Not at all. Uh, and listen, can I just say, Chris on the yakety yak is not too bad himself, is he? Chris Barry, oh, he's fa- he's fabulous, and with that incredible theatrical voice. Joanna Weir has also contacted contacted us via Instagram. Hi, Corrie and Caro. Thank you for the great tip. Re the brow mascara for your eyebrows. I couldn't find any mascara. However, I'm using an excellent product, hair color mascara, one thousand hour from Chemist Warehouse. Oh, that's a good tip. Well, especially from Chemist Warehouse because their prices are always so inexpensive. So it doubles up for hair and eyebrows. Such a winner. Again, thanks for your podcast. Thank you, Joanna. That's very nice to hear from you. Caro, we've got a lot on the show today. You have a recipe. We've both been to the pictures and we're going to talk about the same film. And I have a wonderful book. But we were saying on the weekend when we got together how exhausted we feel. And we put this down particularly to the post lockdown period when everybody in Melbourne seemed to jump out of the stalls with gay abandon and now things are really catching up with us. Do you want to tell Potties the nut, nub of our discussion? Yes, we had a bit of a, um, a whinging walk, didn't we, the other day with our friend Trudy, one of the Cornish walkers. Trudy's just had COVID and was a few days out of isolation and was still feeling pretty exhausted. She was very happy when I suggested we turn around when we got halfway down our usual beach. Um, look, Corrie, I don't know what it is, but I've thought about this and, and I've had a terrible cold. I think, first of all, a lot of people are sick and we know a lot of schools, you know, schools are going back to remote learning, some of them for odd, odd days here and there. Hospitals are full. Um, because the hospitals are full, there's an ambulance problem. So there is a bit of a health crisis because people have got the flu and getting bad colds as well as COVID. But I'm convinced my problem is I just so thrived during COVID because I had full work and I felt useful and I was running around doing all the jobs I normally do for all my different media organisations. So I wasn't missing out on company. I was going into the studio. I was feeling like there was lots of stories around for me to break. But I was then coming home and cooking dinner and going to bed. The only things I did to socialise was go on long walks with you. And when we did have coffee, we brought them takeaway and we sort of kept walking. So there was no, there was a couple of times, you know, we went to the park and would run into friends and maybe, you know, have a quick coffee or even a quick gin and tonic, just, you know, one-on-one. That's illegal. Well, not if you just run into someone. That's that's the Armadale equivalent of... um Partygate. No, it's it's actually not Partygate. Are you following Partygate? Oh, that is another topic for another day. What, Boris Johnson? Yes, oh, God, no. Well, I, was, I was over in Amsterdam when it all broke late last year and that poor press secretary who ended up resigning in tears, when you think, talk about the woman's, woman's sacrificial lamb anyway. And they continue to call it the Sue Gray Report, which oh, continues to drive me disgraceful. mad. Disgraceful. Sue anyway, Gray Report. Anyway, so, no, I just think that I was so busy with my normal stuff that I thought I've sailed through this, but then... We've relayed on all our social commitments and going to, you know, it's but, such but a wonderful... But you had that before March 2020. You had that load. What's happened in two years? Well, I just think we're not fit. We're not fit to do it all again. And I'm two years older and work is every bit as demanding as it was. And I know I only work really hard during the footy season, but nine months is 
is very demanding for me. And I've just found that trying to do all the other things, keeping up with friends, which we couldn't do before and really missed, going to the theatre, which we couldn't do before and really missed, going to movies, all those things just layer upon layer into your life. We couldn't travel. We couldn't even travel, you know, 100 kilometres. We couldn't even travel across town to see our children. So there was, there was, and I know that wasn't for the whole two years, but I think looking back, you know, it, we got into this lovely habit of those of us who were working and even those of us who weren't working, but were doing other stuff around the house of just relaxing. And so you're saying we're not match fit. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, I'm not saying it wasn't stressful for a lot of people and there weren't terrible financial issues and social issues. I'm, you know, and people who had children at home, I, I'm just talking about me. I didn't have that. I'm not sure. For me, it's observing this. It, it's not so much a, that we're not match fit. I think there's there there are new layers of anxiety that have crept in. So, for example, I'm trying to get a flu vaccination for Peter myself at the moment. Very difficult. Very difficult to no, find. I don't and get. understand that. I just went to my GP <laughs> and got one. Well, no, my GP says that they haven't. They don't have any. Um, they don't have any supplies at the moment, and I have to keep ringing. So I rang on. Monday. Oh no, sorry, they haven't arrived yet. Ring on Thursday. This has been going on for two weeks. They are, to their credit, they are um, holding back their supplies and giving them to people in need because I was asked the ten questions: How old are you, and are you um, compromised health-wise, and so on. But I think also, um, I'm sure you could find one. By the way, all, are, all employers are giving them. I mean, Channel Nine are, have got a prog- weekly program. A, a lot of people are not sleeping well. I, I get that from friends, and a lot of people do have this post-COVID cough. So coughing does keep you awake at night, so you have a disturbed sleep. Um, there are lots of stories about people not being able to make an appointment with the doctor for days and days, um, or being able to see a specialist. Uh, our Health staff, our professional health workers, our doctors and our nurses are exhausted. Um, but that doesn't but one affect of, one you of and my, me. No, but, um, but it's it. But, well, it sort of does because I think there's what I'm getting to is that there's a, there's a layer of anxiety over our community. So one of my family members, um, one, of, one of the kids had to go to the um, emergency in the middle of the night this week. And so Charlie took the baby in and the doctor, he said, was absolutely exhausted because he had, you know, going through the busiest time of his entire career at the hospital, just looked exhausted. The stories of our hospitals and ambulance services in crisis. And then I think a lot of people are also anxious about their financial future. Um, may, maybe they're actually working too hard or maybe they're not getting enough work. Um, housing crisis, that's affect renting and buying, that's affecting yours and my children. Uh, and lots of potties as well. And and just the general getting out and about, going to the theatre, going to the footy, travelling, if you are lucky enough to be doing that, even that is fraught, although it's a lovely thing to do if you're going on a holiday. Um, but people are now travelling for work and there's all sorts of hold-ups at the airport. And I don't know, it just seems to be really complicated to be living a normal life at the moment. And I think people are anxious and I think that's how it's manifesting. Yeah, no, I take on board what you say. I don't get any of that. I mean... I, I, it's it's certainly, but you are the, a lucky. I mean, you're kind of a lucky one. In the a AFL, way. well, I, I, I've been really. I've had a bad cold, but I, I haven't found. I mean, I've easily got an appointment at my GP. I, there was heaps of flu vaccines there. I don't know. Well, I was just. I don't know. Different GP, I guess. Going to the footy, I know they've made that a lot harder. The AFL, although they're they're listening, and you know, people have made changes. That certainly the MCC have. I just think it's lack of. For me, it's lack of time. It's lack of time. You know, it's it's time has become 
a, a, just a disappearing commodity? Because, well, because in COVID there was so much time. Well, I did say to you when we were walking, I think you have to reevaluate your diary. Look, I certainly did when, and and that's not to say that I let left friends let friends fall off the perch by any means. But I do think you have to look at your diary, everybody, particularly going into winter, and really think about: Am I getting enough sleep? Can I get into bed by ten o'clock at night at the absolute latest? Uh, and if I have three or four nights in a row, I have to put time aside to recharge. I think that's what people are just forgetting. Oh, yeah. I never stop looking at my diary. I mean, I've been doing that since I stopped working full time at the age. I've, my diary has become my best friend. I've got to check it three times a day. I know. I, well, no, you're like me. You've got 10 jobs at once and, t- and lots of things happening. But look, it's not all bad news going into winter, everybody. These are my tips on how to take care of yourself and conserve yourself through winter. Ginger. It's the best. Both of you agree in on tea? that. Everywhere, in everything. Put it in everything that you cook. Even I, I even put some in the in the rhubarb and pear crumble the other night. Oh, you know, ginger's great in anything dessert. Put ginger in everything and try and get it into your little children as well. In bed by 10 p.m., as I said. Um, try and eat earlier and drink less. So eating earlier, there's this whole idea of if you fast for 12 hours, it's so good for your system. It's certainly for women, particularly menopausal women, does give you a flatter stomach, I can tell you. But if you eat earlier and have that 12-hour fast, so we had dinner last night at 6.30. (laughs) Well, that's not it, that early. Oh, no, it, it, well, it is for Pete. You're like, uh, the look. What? Anyway, I said we're, we're living a new life. Hot water bottles are your best friend. Your diary oh, yeah. might be your best friend. But oh, no, don't, bottle... don't worry. I've got, yeah, I've got that. I've got that. But even if you're sitting watching telly or something like that, everyone, just put it on a sore spot, your back or your, your feet. Always take good care of your feet. Put your heat, you can get heated booties. There you go. And walking lots, you and I are big fans of that. Lots of layers. So you try and keep your body temperature relatively, um, it, 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 it's more likely to absorb the shock. And, of course, water and warm drinks. There you go. Dr. Corey. Oh. Oh boy, oh boy. Well, that's, you know. Therapist. And and also if you if you can afford the, the time and also the cost of a holiday at the moment, everybody just has to just take a big deep breath about passport delays. Yes, there are lots of them, so get organized early. COVID test requirements, I mean, you've gone through all of that stress, airport delays. It's hard, isn't it? Actually getting around and about. Yeah, you've just got to get everywhere earlier and plan more, which yeah. is um Another another legacy of COVID. I think the other thing, and you mentioned it, traffic. There was just two years of no traffic, mm. and you know we, we didn't. Well, we did appreciate it, sort of, but it was pretty sad and lonely. I remember driving home from Footy Classified at eleven o'clock at night, and there was no one, no one on the road because for a while there was a curfew. But now you're driving somewhere at ten thirty, eleven at night, and you go through the Domain Tunnel and the Burnley Tunnel too, and it's. It's bumper to bumper. Like, what, who are all these people? And what are they doing out at 10.30? They're the citizens of Melbourne. They're the, now, they were all oh. supposed to have gone up to Queensland to live, but no, they're back. So, listen, we're talking about getting away on aeroplanes, and if we could, or indeed we could actually take a sea ferry to our next stop. We wanted to talk about Tasmania. I was really keen to, to um, see or hear your views on your article that you wrote over the weekend for The Age about Tassie. Um, being involved um, so significantly in a bid for the Tasmanian government, I mean, in a bid for an AFL 
uh, team. But it, it prompted me to think about Tasmania today. It is uh, nine degrees, I think, is the top in Tassie. Coldest state, but hottest spot is how I refer to it. it and dare is. I say, the Federal Liberal Party's jewel in the crown. Who would have ever thought that? But um, tell us a bit about what's happening at Tassie and the new Premier and how determined they are to get a team down there. Well, the new Premier is Jeremy Rockcliffe. I got into a bit of a tussle with Gillan McLaughlin because I... I said and continue to say, I think he should have flown to Hobart by now to meet him, but he hasn't. Um, he says they've met three times. They haven't. They've met over the phone. So, you know, the, I, I think it's a face-to-face thing when there's a new Premier and we're looking for a 19th AFL licence. Um, the bid they've put forward, the initial bid is a 10-year commitment of $150 million. No other state government funds their own football team. There's um, a private equity element that Alistair Clarkson has been working on because of his love of and his, his travel to Green Bay and the Green Bay Packers and Wisconsin, even smaller state. And also Tasmania. his connection with Hawthorne and Tasmania. He was a driving force behind that deal um, back yeah. in the day. Well, yes. He now, was. Yes, but I mean, this this is. Um, but I he's mean, but he has experience in it. He loves spent the time, state. He yeah, spent yeah. time in the state. That yeah. is true. Um, but you know, this I, I think really it's going to be interesting to see if they don't get a nineteenth license, what's going to happen with um, Hawthorne and North Melbourne and that long term, very lucrative deal that Hawthorne has got with um, the city of Launceston because I don't think the government will fund it anymore. The current government has support from the Greens and Labor the Liberal government in Tasmania, and, and they were the only government to have a swing towards the Libs, actually, in the recent state election. Sorry, the only state in the federal sphere. But um, it, the, that commitment is not enough. The AFL want more than a 10-year commitment. The clubs want a hell of a lot more. Um, clubs like Sydney and Collingwood and certainly the Gold Coast are campaigning, not campaigning, but are making it clear that some of them love Tasmania, but they don't want a 19th team. You know, then this brings in North Melbourne. Why are we doing this when North Melbourne should just relocate? Well, they don't want to and Tasmania don't want them. Um, this would put Tasmania completely on the national map. Can I just ask a question why Tasmania doesn't want North Melbourne? They want their own team. But couldn't they just – it's just like a Lions thing, you know, you just rebrand it. Well, the the Lions didn't actually relocate. They um, folded and then a new club was formed in Brisbane called the Brisbane Lions, which now has ties to the old Fitzroy. Sydney, um, South Melbourne did relocate to Sydney. But in both those situations, Corrie, they were non-footy states. There was not, a, it wasn't the, the natural code. They were they were pioneering pioneering clubs, really. Tasmania was an AFL state. It's Australian rules footy is their great tradition. But AFL, Australian rules is dying there. Club players aren't, one or two players are the most a year are coming out of Tasmania and often not any at all, when it used to be 10, 15. So football is dying. There are beautiful ovals there are no longer being used. And this is seen as the state and the people running the Tasmanian bid the task force as the last chance. So it's all going to come in August. I am passionately behind it. Gillan McLaughlin denies he's losing the hunger, having put this really on the agenda back in 2018, privately but definitively, and it'll be really interesting to see if he can sell it to the clubs as one of his last plays before he would steps down from the AFL position of you know CEO. And what's the feeling of the commission? Don't know. Some are for, some are against. Richard Goiter seems to be backing Gillen. He's a big Gillen McLaughlin believer, and I think Gillen can sell it to him. But I'm not sure whether he's over the line. 
And I, as I say, I think they should have gone. They were due to go and meet Peter Gutwin, the former premier, who was a shock, who resigned with a you know huge controversy. No one was seeing it coming about two months ago. I think yeah, they all see that as a real step back. But why haven't they gone down? They were due to meet the old premier. Why won't they go and meet the new premier? Just get involved. Um, there's a lot of questions that are being asked by the task force. They want to know, you know, where are the players going to come from? Who's going to run the academy? The AFL saying, don't worry about all that. They just, I fear it's a cash grab from the government and I'm just not sure whether it's going to get over the line. So look, it's it's going to be a fascinating two months. Well, Tassie. We love Tassie. <laughs> we love Tassie and uh, post lockdown, it's one of the places that I've been wanting to go to. Do you have any recommendations for my trip? I have been before a couple of times. Oh, Jane's putting her hand up. I do. Can I just say I do, despite the tragedy that happened in the 1990s, I do still think Port Arthur is one of the finest uh, tourism attractions in the country. And I do think the Museum of Old and New Art, which shows David Walsh's private collection, is remarkable. And I do love playing golf at Bumboogle and Lost Farm on the North Coast. Jane, you'd be up for a game of golf, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Freysonet and Wineglass Bay, just stunning. Mariah Island. Mariah Island, um, get the boat from, um, not far from Ribbon Beach, which is a beach that you walk onto, not far from Orford, another beautiful um, seaside little town uh, about an hour from Hobart. Ribbon Beach, you enter the beach through a wooden farm gate and the beach is lined with poplars and scattered with fan shells. The State Theatre in Hobart is a beautiful theatre, an old sandstone theatre with um, several cinemas, a beautiful bookshop next door and a rooftop bar and a great cafe. Obviously, yeah, um, Mona, which is just incredible. Hobart, and Hobart rocks is Have lunch at the winery next door. Templo is a great restaurant in Hobart. There are and Hobart is beautiful. With the with oh, stunning. Uh, the land the landscape is beautiful. But um, a friend of mine, Brigitte, a couple of years ago, actually did an oyster tour of Tasmania. So she and her partner took the the car ferry. Uh, overnighter, and they drove. She had researched all these places of different oyster bars and oyster restaurants, and places where you could sit on the rocks and shuck and eat for as much as you wanted to, for as long as you wanted to. And um, I thought that sounded like a pretty fine thing to do. The oysters are amazing. <laughs> the agrarian kitchen oh. is one of the, which is in the old um, mental institution, I guess. Again, about an hour from Hobart. Absolutely stunning. Richmond, of course, never disappoints. And Evandale, closer to Launceston, is a beautiful little town mm. with a couple of great Well, if the, if the Tasmanian government would like to sponsor Don't Shoot the Messenger on a little sea journey, the three of us are up for it. On that note, let's celebrate our potential Tassie trip and invite Miles in for the cocktail cabinet. And Miles is here with us, Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store. Hi, Miles. You're going to help us with a big dilemma of having parties after Carol and I have just both said that we're exhausted and we don't want to go out. Well, you've told us all to drink water and drink less. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I necessarily agreed with that, Corrie. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) So party time, Miles. Yeah. So some, some suggestions for a potty for their party. And so we're looking at maximum around $25 yeah, maximum a bottle. maximum 25 yep. Mm-hmm. And a sparkling, a red and a white. So I went with a couple of internationals and a local. So I did the 
Dalzotto Pacino Prosecco for the sparkling. Yep. That's a, a great bit of a classic. winery from the King Valley. Really correct? awesome. Yep. Just everything they do is great. So. I'm very impressed, Caro. Mm. You do you do like, you know your Proseccos, though. Well, yeah, I, I actually discovered them because um, I went to a function once and they were serving their rosé. Mm. And it was one of the best Australian rosés I've ever drunk. And so I found out about Dalzotto yeah. as a result. Quite a well-known family. Yeah, and a lot Valley. of, obviously, a lot of Italian varietals, so... You know, and they do a few Proseccos, I think. This is their Pacino, which is their more drier sort of style, um, that, which, which I like. Sometimes Prosecco can be a bit sort of fruity and sometimes even a little bit sweet, which a lot of people love, but this is a, a little bit on the drier side. So I think it's got a bit more broad appeal. And what does um, it cost? So it's $21, I think. Goodness me. Brilliant. Yeah. Happy with that? So no, that's I, a good one. That's very inexpensive. The Del Zotto well, that's Prosecco. The, that's the point. Fabulous. <laughs> Um, but yeah, awesome, awesome one. Uh, the other, the white, I did the Carurdo Suave, which is a great little, so I've got a bit of an Italian tip there, but, um, I love a lot of those Italian style whites anyway. They can yep. be kind of on the neutral side sometimes, but which is often good for say something like a party and Suave has got that lovely sort of peachy soft kind of element to it. No oak, which I think is always good to avoid if, if, if you're not really sure what you're going to serve to people. You know, a lot of people don't like Chardonnay. Um, you've got to be careful with things like Riesling because of the acidity, sometimes the sweetness, depending on the Riesling. So sort of sometimes steer away from those. Something like Suave has got a lot of broad appeal. Was this one of the vineyards, wineries you visited in your recent trip? No, no. <laughs> I didn't, didn't quite get, didn't quite get all the way there. So we were actually going to go there, but, um, we had some didn't quite tri- happen. We had, we did a bit of a Suave trail when we were in Piedmont. Mm. They seem to be... Piedmont, Absolutely yeah. stunning there. That you went there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So Piedmont's kind of on the, on the west there, and they're a little bit. They're Verona is the sort of main town, which is such an awesome town. Verona. If everyone's beautiful. been to Verona, oh, if you haven't yeah. been to Verona, you got to go to Verona. Years My sister ago. got married in Verona, so oh, I got to go. What about I've been that a couple square? of times. It's I've been to the opera. So I've been yeah. to the opera. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, it was pretty amazing in the old Roman ruins. But um, I agree with you about Suave being a really good pre dinner, like if you're not having a full meal and you're at a yeah. party or, or a pre-dinner appetizer, I think it's a great, oh, we often serve it as a, yeah. doing a glass of wine before dinner. It's, it's got a, a bit more interest than say something like a Grigio, but it's not, you know. It's a crowd it's pleaser. Not, yeah, it's a bit of a crowd pleaser. So I, I sort of, you know, skate towards it. Um, we can do something like an Albarino or something like that. Tell us the name good. again. So Car Erto. Car Erto. And it's Suave. $22. Brilliant. Okay. Really good little wine. We're saving money so far. I know. And right. what about the red? <laughs> we can go up too if you want to go. Up. <laughs> no, no, no. We can do no the, re- the request was that we keep it within Under budget. Under twenty-five, yeah. And then the Rive Rive Duat Rive Gauche, which is right bank, left bank, um, and it doesn't refer to Bordeaux; it actually refers to the Rhone. So this is uh, a large sort of. I think they're a, they're like a co-op producer, but really high quality. So Grenache blended with a bit of Shiraz and Mavet, so like a GSM blend that you'd see here in Australia. So same sort of thing. Not a lot of oak. Really fruity, that soft, juicy kind of Grenache thing going on, and that spicy Shiraz blended in there. So medium bodied, nice and soft and plush. Um, I just thought that again, it's sort of trying to cater for everyone. You know, you don't want something too tannic like Cabernet. It might be a bit off even if you're not having it with food, you know, or if you're just having it with snacks. You know, Cabernet can be maybe not quite the thing you want. Um, Shiraz would also be good, but, but I thought those GSM type blends are always nice. And this is a really good, soft, juicy, easy sort of drinking style that, you know, anyone could enjoy. So we've gone from the Victorian King Valley to Italy near Verona to France. To France. On the the Rhone. Rhone. 
Oh, how yeah. fabulous. And how much is the red? So I think that's 22 as well, 22 oh. or 23. Sorry. And how many bottles are we allowing per guest? Yeah, well, that's always an interesting question. It depends on... <laughs> on your friends. On your friends. It really does. We used to say in the bookshop when we had an event that there were five glasses per bottle and there, this was for just an hour and a half drink mm. and there was probably two glasses per person. Some person, somebody might have one glass, but then the other person has mineral water and doesn't drink, so it yeah. kind of cancels it out. There, it's very important that, you get the sums right. That's a generous glass, five per bottle. Yeah, I would say six per bottle. Well, yeah, at a bookshop a, event, you filled it up completely because yeah, they yeah, didn't want to come generous, back. Yeah. Very generous. I've always run with the five per bottle. If, you, if you're pouring in a restaurant, I think they're normally like 110 mils and a, or a little bit more depending on sort of what you're doing. So you're probably getting five out, but then it gives you a bit of sort of leeway as well. So again, and that's what we would do. We'd, we'd say maybe 10% of the people aren't going to drink at all or... Some of the people will just maybe have some beers instead. So, you know, if, if, if you go, if you kind of worked out at five glasses per bottle and, you know, some maybe, people, maybe two, two glasses an hour sort of thing. But some other people you a drink little, a bottle. But then some other people drink a bottle. In an hour. That's right, but you've got a couple you... of glasses leeway because there's going to be some people who won't drink anything. So what I do is like I sort of work that generally out and go, okay, so 20 people, blah, 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 whatever it might be, that's, you know, 12 reds. 12 whites and six sparkling. And then if you look at that and go, oh, my friends will drink all that in an hour. <laughs> you then alcoholic up, friends. Then up the game. Or if you look at it and go, <laughs> but, oh, that's like Miles, so much wine. So, that's like three glasses per person. They're only going to drink one or two. You so know, this, so has, you this has happened to us at a family wedding where, that where um, just completely unexpectedly there was a run on. There was a run on one particular a type wedding, of alcohol. A wedding, just double it. <laughs> well, we had to send, we had to send <laughs> various least. members of, of families down to, to the pub, and, yeah, to go yeah. to go and, um, which is awkward, isn't it? And also at the bookshop, yeah. all of a sudden the weather will be warm, and instead of them drinking Pinot Noir, they are all into the Chardonnay, and you've run out again. Yeah, that's always can be an issue too, depending on the weather. So, I mean, definitely take you know, probably take into account the take weather. Take into account the weather. Mm. Yeah, you always end up with leftover red. If you're going to be, get left with anything, it's probably, the red. probably red. A lot of people who are just casually drinking on a at a yep. function might just sort of go with white. It's just a bit easy. I probably would too, yep. unless I was going to sit down and have a dinner. And you, then I'd the, probably have some red, but I'd probably stick with white if I. And then people move me. back to sparkling later in the and night, spa- so yeah. that tends oh. to run out. I always, I always maybe, <laughs> I sometimes overcater a little bit for sparkling because it's often the one thing, particularly if you're going to do a toast or something. It's probably yeah, the one thing you it. want to make sure you have that's a it. little bit more of. Well, that's what I was going to say. You can that's what we ran out of. Sparkling it. a bit later, you know. That's what we ran out of at the wedding. Yeah. And again, Everybody so, was feeling very festive. And then occasion. So that's the other thing to take into consideration. Like you said, you know, if, if it's a celebration of sorts, you probably definitely want to like over-cater on the sparkling. If it's more just a kind of, you know. If it's a two-hour book launch, book, book two hour launch, book launch. then, you know, that's, that's I'd say, half a bottle. So, Miles, thank you. We'll just recap. So we've got the Del Zotto Pacino Prosecco. Pacino Prosecco. Yep. The Suave. The Car Erdo Suave. Car Erdo Suave. And then the, the Rive, Rive Gauche. Rive Gauche. So right bank, left bank. That is excellent. And everybody, don't forget to get onto princewinestore.com.au and we go to the our own little page there, Miles. Yes, you do. And you get 10% off if you uh, put into the uh, little bit, the M-E-S-S. Which is the promo code. Which is code. the promo code. You which get is also what off. you'll be when you've drunk all A of mess. that wine. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Miles. We'll see you next week. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay, on to... 
book, screen and food. And Caro, I'll kick it off with a book that uh, arrived on bookshelves this year and it's a beautiful cover. Look at that, holding that up to the microphone. Of course, no one can see except Jane and Caro. It is a beautiful cover. The book is called Mother's Boy by Patrick Gale. This is based on the life of uh, a poet, an, a, an English poet, Charles Causley, who uh, was um, creating beautiful work in the early 20th century. Caro, he's a Cornishman. He's a, he's a real poet? He's a real poet and he's a Cornishman, so there's a lot of Cornwall in his poetry. And this is this is the fictional account of the life that he led, in particular his early years with his mother, Laura, a widow. The book starts with Laura, who's a young woman in service. Um, both her parents are particularly poor. They live in a nearby town. But Laura has escaped to work for this wealthy uh, couple and she's very delighted to be in her warm house where food is irregular. And there she meets the very good-looking Charlie, who is a groom to a local family, and the pair marry. And they're going to have a life in service, but they're as happy as anything. Of course, World War I comes. Charlie goes off to fight. During one of his uh, at-home moments, uh, they conceive, and Laura gives birth to their only child, Charles, because sadly, when Charlie returns from World War One, he is damaged, and um, he dies a couple of years later, which is not giving anything away in this book because it all sort of happens pretty quickly. And he leaves his young wife a widow and this um, fatherless son. And the, this story is the bond between the mother and the son, which becomes even tighter. And as young Charles becomes a teenager, almost claustrophobic. But Laura is a lovely person. I'm not saying that there's anything um, menacing or weird about her. Uh, but this is just a beautiful story of mother-son relationships. And it is it, it, it is also, there's a bit of action in this too, Caro, because Charles joins the Navy at the start of World War II and beca- he becomes a coder, which in itself is fascinating, cracking code. And... It's during these years in the Navy that he actually falls in love and begins to make sense of the anxiety and the frustration he has experienced as a boy growing up in a small country town with his mother as his only companion. It's beautiful, it's poetic, it's gentle. In a way, it's just there's a little whisper of the offing, which our book club did for our last book, Carol, remember, by Benjamin Myers. Beautiful book. And of course, the landscape of Cornwall comes to life, but also Charles's adventures on the high seas during World War II. It's the story, as I said, of mother and son love, of a man who is living at a time when history says that he should hide his sexuality and he should suppress it. And he does, and he suppresses so much of his natural vivacity, which, of course, ultimately manifests in his poetry. But... It is a fascinating life and it is a beautiful story. So that is Mother's Boy. Highly recommend it for book clubs, actually, if anybody is interested, by Patrick Gale, G-A-L-E. Caro, speaking of period dramas, you and I went to see a bit of a period drama on the weekend. Downton Abbey, A New Era. It was complete relaxation, brain turn off. A little bit sad, Corrie, without doing I won't. I won't give away what happens, but... It's clearly the last Downton Abbey film. I don't think you saw the first Downton Abbey film, so I you didn't. weren't familiar with the work of Tuppence Middleton, who comes in as um, Lily, oh, the maid who marries um, Branson um, in the previous Downton Abbey film. Um, it's look, 
Can I, I just can I, I just thoroughly say, Tom, enjoyed this. Tom, that family driver, has come a long way in life. Oh. For somebody who was almost a communist, he's taken very comfortably to the uh, to the lifestyles of the aristocrats. Um, but good on him. He's a lovely character and his new wife, this is obviously the backstory I missed, Lucy. Um, Lucy, I should say, yes, who starts off as a maid but turns out to have a very interesting history and ends up being one of the, you know, major, um, ends up being an heiress. Um, in the, the start of this film, we find out that Maggie Smith's past includes a dalliance of some sort with um, a very rich and um, titled Frenchman who has left her a house in the south of France on the Riviera, somewhere on the Côte d'Azur. This man's widow is played by Natalie Bay, who is fabulous and frosty, as um, the widow who has just realised that her husband has actually left one of their piles to this woman over in over in England, and the most of the family go over to visit this beautiful house in the south of France. Yes, unfortunately, the Dowager Countess of Grantham, the Maggie Smith character, is unable to go on the family trip because she's so old, which I'm reckoning she must be about 127, given that <laughs> Downton Abbey started in about... What was it, 1902 when it began or She something? still gets the best lines. Hugh Bonneville seems to have been on the Fountain of Youth as Lord Grantham, Looking doesn't he? great. He looks amazing. He, he, but he's about our age. Yes, yes. I remember him, of he, course, in Notting yes, Hill. Yes, and, and he's all part, he's part of that whole Hugh Grant. Uh, the, the, there's a whole group of them of that age group, those, those British actors who are now hitting their early 60s, which is a reminder of our youth. So it was quite nice to see that Hugh was looking so sprightly. He's lost a lot of weight. He seemed to be very tanned. I think he's auditioning for his next role in life now that um, this one's finished up. But beautifully shot. It was pretty amazing. They got the entire cast back together with the exception of... uh, um, Matthew Good. Yes. Who plays Lady Mary's... um, Rather caddish racing car driver husband. He was too busy making the offer in which he plays the famous film producer and Ali McGraw's husband, Robert Evans. I started watching that. It's brilliant. Isn't he fabulous in that? He's brilliant. He speaks with a nasally sort of twang, (laughs) bit of Terry Grant about him actually. The Mario Puzo character in that is hilarious. Anyway, we are off topic. Look, um, we did have a bit of a chortle. I was getting particularly agitated with the rather clunky script improbable script, Carol. Really Maggie Smith Maggie told. Smith still gets all the best lines. And obviously the other the other sort of um twist in the tale is that they're down on their they're you know, like all titled families in big piles, they're down on a bit of cash, they need a new roof, and a film offer comes to them. Someone wants to make a silent film in in Downton Abbey itself. And in comes Hugh Dancy, um, from um the Mary um the Jane Austen Book Club, among other things. He comes in as a film producer and, of course, the wonderful Dominic West as the male lead, both of whom become romantically entangled with major characters in I the I must film. say, when Hugh Dancy popped onto the screen, my heart did a little beat. He is a rather gorgeous and charismatic leading man, isn't he? Yeah, Dominic West does it for me. But, oh, um, no, no, no. Tuppence Middleton is gorgeous. She was in Fisherman's Friends. She was also in Mank. She was in, the obviously, the original Downton Abbey film. But, look, it ties up everything in a nice, neat bow. All the downstairs characters get a major crack and a lot of their lives are finally resolved. Um, big changes there. 
it, look, let's face it, Corrie, we all cried at the end. We did. Let be honest. And uh, the only other... No, I had a cold. <laughs> what was the most... You, you were sobbing or I was. What was... Who was that woman in the cinema who guffawed... With that, I mean, it almost ruined some of Maggie Smith's lines for me. She laughed so loudly and well, you gasped. Had to think, I, I, see, I was just able to tune out, but every time she laughed, I became aware of it because you would humph for. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. Oh, well, she was God. ridiculous. Oh, at Corrie, she, it was you a did. very loud laugh. Oh, no, and, no, you know, a couple I don't of. I think people are allowed to enjoy themselves, Caroline. Couple of revelations where she'd go, <gasps> like that. You go, oh, for heaven's sake, can you keep it down? <laughs> it was only a small cinema. Anyway, a very enjoyable Can way I to while away you, an afternoon. It was indeed, and if you're into fashion, wow, wow, oh wow! Some of some of um, Elizabeth McGovern's weren't outfits. they beautiful? Absolutely, and, and and of course, Lady Mary always looks fabulous. Edith still gives me the pip. The sister. She hasn't changed in twenty years. Oh, she's you know got a career as a journalist oh, and a nice she's husband. Just and so wet. He's got a nice house too now, so everyone's happy. Everyone's yes. got what they anyway, want. Anyway, go and see it if you've got nothing else to do. And uh, on that note, I don't know what the segue is to your recipe because you actually didn't tell me what you're cooking this week. Caro. Well, this might sound boring, and it comes from the kitchen of my Clementine, Miss Jane. I've sent you the details to put on the show notes and a classic, you know, picture from Clem. Very simple, always popular. Very cheap pumpkin soup. Now, this might sound boring, Corrie, but this is a fabulous recipe and I've had it before. One butternut pumpkin cut into wedges, skin on. An onion roughly chopped. Did you say pumpkin? Pumpkin. No, I said pumpkin. (laughs) It's like people who say performance. Your ear's blocked. Pumpkin. (laughs) Pumpkin. One onion roughly chopped. One leek roughly chopped. Five garlic cloves roughly chopped. Butter, olive oil, Cumin or cumin and coriander and a whole nutmeg finely grated. Really, if you can not use nutmeg powder and you can buy those whole nutmegs, you sort of cut your knuckles and stuff, but it is is beautiful if you can do that. Pumpkin seeds, 500 mils of chicken stock and crusty bread to serve. Um, It starts off with um, tossing the pumpkin in oil and spices and salt and cooking it for 25 minutes in a 200 oven, flipping it halfway. Then you saute all the white things, the onion and the leeks, etc. The recipes are in the show notes. You also need water. This is a delicious recipe. Extra topping, a dollop of full-fat Greek yogurt. Yum. And the roasted pumpkin seeds. It is a really good pumpkin soup recipe. And let's face it, it's soup time at the moment, Corrie. I do love pumpkin soup. That's a great recipe. Now, that was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Isn't it time? You called Red Energy on 131806. My friend Corrie is grumpy. I'm grumpy. I'm a bit more kind of disappointed, I guess, or a bit surprised. There was a report that came out, it was released this week, or I don't know when it was released actually, but it certainly received publicity this week from the Australian Journal of Teacher Education, which says that some of Australia's most loved children's books, including Possum Magic, Caro, have been labelled too old and not culturally diverse enough by literary experts. Oh, for goodness sake. (laughs) So they're saying that in this paper... uh, they say the children's books such as The Very Hungry Caterpillar, Harry McCleary, Wombat Stew, We're Going on a Bear Hunt, that they ha- reflect dominant culture and outdated viewpoints and lifestyles by researchers from the Edith Cowan University. Now, I just, I'm a former bookseller here and I'm also a grandmother. 
And I have to say that the rhyming beat of Harry McCleary, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Possum magic. Um, Mm. We're going on a bear hunt is fabulous. The academics who put this report together do... Uh, do make a point that a lot of the most loved characters in these most loved books are animals, which doesn't all go well for Mr. Kitten Goes to Town. <laughs> Might have to rethink my, my, my lead. <laughs> because it's character. politically incorrect. Well, because he's a cat. Corrie, I don't mean to be rude, but um, we will have gone through another generation by the time Mr. Kitten Goes to Town has his birth. Mr. Kitten will be going to town in some sort of <laughs> rocket ship. Yeah, look, I just, I, th- I just thought that this was a bit rough and a bit tough on so many of those great children's classics that we have loved and adored and still sell well. I, can, I get that people get a bit agitated about Enos, Edith, Enid Blyton's brownies and fairies and Noddy and Big Ears, although I still love them myself. But, if, you know, hands off our possum magic yeah, I think that's a bit crazy. I mean, you've got to look at things with new eyes. Um, Wait till Sunny comes home from from Amsterdam and, and you're reading to her every second night after bath and feed. You'll be loving the Harry McClary's. You really get into them. Going on a, We're going on a bear hunt is just so much fun. Anyway, I rest my... Alice and Lester would pass the test. Magic Beach is certainly very correct and a beautiful story. But I remember when Rose was a baby and Anna from the op shop tried to buy her Little Black Sambo <laughs> and she could only find books about Little Black Sambo, analysis and stories about it, but she found it very hard to actually find the book. Well, do you know, I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, I found it in, in the US and I bought a few copies in which was really frowned upon, but I think you have to represent diversity and it's always a great story. And Little Black Sambo wins in the end because the tigers walk around and around and around in the hot sun until they melt and they become the butter for his pancakes. <laughs> Everything's used He's a up. Hero. Everything's used up in the book or everything, even all the, even all the dead animals. It anyway. has an environmental message. Um, okay, so, Caro, on to six quick questions brought to us each week by Red Energy. Thanks, guys, at Red Energy. And you have a question for me. What was the highlight of your weekend? The Queenscliff Writers' Festival. Hello to Jane and all the volunteers at the Writers' Festival. You guys... You just did an amazing job. I only was lucky enough to attend one day, but you did have it on three weekends and you had so many wonderful guests, including final night, Helen Garner. It was just great. It was great to go to a community uh, centre at beautiful town hall. It was great to be part of a little community where everybody seemed to be behind it. So well done to the Queenscliff Writers' Festival. Long may these local writers' festivals thrive and flourish. How Car- have they not ruined that town? How uh, It is one of the most beautifully preserved stunning. towns in all of Victoria. It's just stunning. Yep. Um, who is the favourite, who is the current favourite for the AFL Coach of the Year Award? Well, it's a very tight field, Corrie. Um, your man, Sam Mitchell, has been described as a genius oh, by God, Kane Corns. I wish we could see some results, He's Sam. been up, he's been down. Stuart Dew seems to be finally emerging from the shadow, the spectre of Alistair Clarkson and Gold Coast could make finals. The second Chance Kings, uh, Brett Ratton and Michael Voss, both vying for a spot in the top four with uh, St Kilda and Carlton at the moment. Michael Voss could be up there with my award. But I've got to say, Justin Longmuir, who you probably haven't even heard of. Of course, don't be ridiculous. Who does he coach? I can't remember. (laughs) I can't remember. Who, Jane? 
He Eagles. coaches Fre- Jane doesn't know either. He coaches Fremantle. Yeah, okay. I knew it was over He there. coaches Fremantle, who, of course, ended Melbourne's winning streak on the weekend. That was one of the great coaching performances. He absolutely sprayed his team last week and his whole club for getting ahead of themselves um, earlier in the year uh, when they were in the top four. They had two unexpected losses. They bounced back, beat the D's at the MCG. And if Fremantle can make the top four, he will be my coach of the year because Fremantle had big problems and he's really sure overcome did. them. They sure did. I wonder if I wonder if coaches are just a little uh, less, um, you know, stuck up with the old ways. They all seem to be trying new things. Their press conferences, they seem to be more open to self-analysis. and Some of them are. Well, who, who's, some of them, who's some still... of them behave badly in press conferences, like Luke Beveridge. Oh. Um, Damien Hardwick's taken to late night tweeting and early morning tweeting, making rather pointed statements. John Longmire, who we love, but yeah. he's been a bit grumpy lately because oh. coaches are angry. They're the only, they're the only level in the AFL industry who haven't gone back to what they were earning pre-COVID and they're cross. This oh, is, that's a really good story. It's going to lead to a big, big confrontation at the um, club's meeting in a couple of weeks. Corrie, um, you've named your highlight. What was the low light of your weekend? I punched myself in the eye. Oh, you idiot. Jane. What happened? You were cooking? Don't laugh. You were with your dog? Can you see it? I have makeup on it. It was actually on Thursday night, so strictly speaking, not the weekend. No, all the feathers in the second doona have uh, on the bed have gone. They, it's a bad doona, and they keep going to the bottom end. So in the middle of the night, I was freezing, and I was trying to pull up the second doona and shake it, and I was pulling so hard. One of my hands slipped. I belted myself in my oh, right no. eye. I saw stars. Like Talk about the AFL concussion rule wow. <laughs> applied to me. I turned the light on. I I thought I had I thought I had almost knocked myself out. I pulled with such vigor. I, I can now see. I didn't notice a mark on Sunday when well, we I had walked. to get my sunnies on. Oh yeah, well that yeah no because now I can. Well I can. It's not exactly bruised. But I had but... to go to a little soiree on. Well I play, had to, I played golf on Friday with the girls and I had to explain there was not a case of domestic violence. But I had to go to a soiree on. Friday night, and you know I'm not very good with doing makeup myself. Oh, I was getting into a pickle. I had more. I had more foundation around my eye than the, I look like an idiot. Anyway, that was what I did. What uh, 2022 cinema event are you most anticipating, Caro? Well, I can't split it, Corrie. Two forthcoming films, both by Antipodean directors. Um, one of them, of course, is Baz Luhrmann's The Elvis Film, um, starring Tom Hanks, which received a standing ovation at Cannes oh, last week. Fabulous. It's, um, I've seen I'm the previews. Baz is back in the good books oh, look, it, after well, Australia. Well, it, well, Australia wasn't that bad. He's just, oh, come on. He just gets carried away with himself sometimes. I, I enjoyed The Great Gatsby, but that was canned as well. But the other one is a thousand, sorry, 3,000 Years of Longing, which is, oh, look, this looks incredible. It's George Miller. Directed. It's a fantasy film starring oh, Tilda, Tilda Swinton, Swinton and Idris and a, and Elba. A, and a it's genie. about a genie. A genie. And a comes gin. and says you have a wish. It's actually based on a novel, Sounds The Djinn in the Nightingale's Eye. It is What was it called? The Djinn, D-J-I-N-N, yeah. like genie, yeah. in the Nightingale's Eye. But the film is called 3,000 Years of Longing. It's described as a romance fantasy with Tilda and Idris. I mean, two of our favourite, favourite actors. And it's oh, it looks. Carol, you don't like anything fantasy. That's not true, Corrie. Some, you don't. You frown upon my fairies. And no, no, you I get don't. Very I costly. absolutely you don't. Don't like any of those. 
books that involve I love the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Oh, when you were 10. No, I'm talking about as an older person. No, I do like certain fantasies and I think this looks brilliant. So they're my two anticipated films. What are you anticipating in terms of the best 2022 literary event? Maggie O'Farrell has a new novel in September and it's called The Marriage Portrait. It's set oh, in, brilliant. It's, it's set in Renaissance Italy about the Duchess Lucretia de' Medici. <gasps> she's going historic again. Oh, she's going historic oh, again. Great. Oh, Mags, we can't wait to have you back in town. Now, final question, Caro, and I'm leaving you with what is this week's amazing fact? Well, are you across um, Chris Walker's current situation? I'd prefer not to be. So Chris Walker um, is a producer. He produces the weekly on the ABC, works for the ABC as a, um, well, he's a, he's a freelance. He, his production company produces the weekly for the ABC. He, um, look, there's no nice way of saying this. He left the camera on after he'd been um, remotely producing or directing um, one of the shows or talking to people back at the ABC. Work, um, work colleagues. Yeah, a week or so ago, and he thought the camera was off and he took off his clothes and started masturbating. And well, they said in the, they said in the report that he was getting into the shower. That's what he's claiming. He's unfor- In an unfortunate tactic, he's denying it, which I think is a bad tactic. Um, funnily enough, Carrie Bickmore in her radio show spoke last year about a time she was doing a big international Zoom with international media and she said he wandered into the room unbeknownst, said, claimed Carrie, that she was doing this big Zoom and there he was in the corner of the screen with all his meat and veg hanging out. That was how Carrie described it. So is, are we, like, I, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> the amazing fact is, A, he's denying it, B, nobody thought to turn off the screen I mean, nine or ten ABC employees saw the entire thing, some of whom are receiving counselling. But according to all the reports... Counselling? Well, some of them were a bit traumatised by it. Well, and some of them don't want to work with him again. I mean, it would be a bit difficult. But the most, the amazing fact is, this is the amazing fact, the good old ABC, politically correct ABC, have told these employees to stum to shut their mouths and not talk about it to anyone. Well, that worked, didn't it? Well, they might think that... The lead story it, on the Herald Sun website last night. They might think that... Uh, the management might think that it will. they might have post-traumatic stress disorder if they relive the Corrie, experience. Corrie, bad move by ABC people and culture so bosses. So what's the fact? You're just, you've just bought the this up for salacious fact. gossip. No, well, it's a, pretty ama- it's a pretty amazing fact that it happened. It's a pretty amazing fact. Why, if you're on a sabbatical overseas, are you still doing the show? Obviously, he's sort of Oh, away. lots of people work when they're away, Caro. Don't be cross about that. Remotely directing or producing a show. Okay, fair enough. But I, I think the, the most interesting part of it to me is that staff have been told to stay silent. And th- and you know that for a fact? I Well, it's been reported. It's been reported but, as a fact. And now it's in the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. No. It's one of our facts. And um, I have a colleague who has spoken to ABC colleagues and they have confirmed this Ooh. and they are not happy. Ooh. Not happy. Not happy about being told to be quiet? Or How would you feel if, I mean, there were so many questions that come out of this. There's so many good one lines. And you wonder how how Carrie would feel because they laugh for 45 minutes straight according to Carrie when he did it when he was accidentally exposed himself the last time do you think he'll be laughing this time I don't know Carol you're in he has my sympathy you're in the bedroom there (laughs) um okay well on that it's a difficult topic (laughs) 
It's a difficult topic. Did the boys from the sounding board discuss this, Jane? Yeah, they did, but um, not as openly and candidly they didn't, they didn't as you. Use the word masturbate. Didn't, didn't want the M word on. Jane that. said that earlier. What, what's wrong with the word masturbate? <laughs> Well, it's some like, people don't like it, but I mean, we have to tell it as it is, is what don't it we? Is. I think that's right. Does any, do any listeners have a problem with the word masturbate? We'd love to know. And on that really interesting note, we are concluding today's podcast. Thank you. Oh, I can't even say red energy with a straight face now. A hundred percent Australian electricity and gas. And thank you, Prince Wine Store. Just visit princewinestore.com.au and click on Don't Shoot the Messenger page for all of Miles's recommendations and the special discounts. Don't forget to listen to our bonus episode, Dear Caro and Corey. Now, listen, potties, we want some dilemma. The mailbag was embarrassingly empty this week, although I have found a cracker of a, of a dilemma. But... Um, Caro, we need to raz up all of our friends and our listeners, everybody. We want to hear your dilemmas. They can be big or small. They can be related to the workplace, social, etiquette, whatever. Just send it to feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. We're on Instagram at don'tshootpod. We're on Facebook. We tweet. And, of course, if you'd like our show notes, just hit the sign-up button. And if you like what we do, don't forget all the usual ways of giving us a five-star rating. That would help other people to find us. Thank you, Miss Jane, for your wonderful work. Jane Neild, our producer. And thank you, Cara, for your company. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 12 years in a row, Prince Wine Store and the Bendigo Art Gallery, presenting Elvis direct from Graceland. Created in partnership with Graceland, this Australian exclusive exhibition explores the life and style of Elvis Presley. On now until July 17, tickets from bendigoartgallery.com.au.